From St. Mary's University of Minnesota, you're listening to St. Mary's Currents. I'm your host, Ben Rogers. On this episode, we discuss a topic that has been in the headlines for months and has been impacting finances of every American. Of course, we're talking about inflation. Too many families are struggling to keep up with their bills. Inflation is robbing them of gains they thought otherwise they would be able to feel. Prices in the U.S. are climbing at their fastest rate in 40 years, up more than 8% from 2021. A new report by Bloomberg Economist shows just how much inflation is costing Americans. In fact, everything your family bought last year now costs about $5,200 more. With our guest, Andrew Scott, who serves as an assistant professor of business here at St. Mary's, we will discuss the cause of inflation as well as considerations the average person may need to make as we navigate these times of high prices. Hi, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation about inflation. But first, can you introduce yourself and tell our listeners what you do here at St. Mary's University and what your academic interests are? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me today. I've been at St. Mary's, gosh, for six years now, and I'm a finance professor. I teach in the business and communication department. I office at our Winona campus. I do all of the upper level finance classes for our finance majors, but I also teach the general finance class for all of our business majors. So if you're getting a degree in accounting or marketing, you know, whatever it may be, you're going to have to come through the general finance class at some point. I also teach in our MBA program. I teach the corporate finance class. And uh, one of the things that I do for the higher education industry, not so much for St. Mary's, is I work for the Higher Learning Commission as a peer reviewer. So I have an opportunity, usually once a semester, to travel to another institution and assess their performance, assess their financial characteristics and resource management, assess their strategy. So, you know, I'm I'm a higher education business nerd, and I'm happy to say that, uh, happy to be in this industry, happy to be at St. Mary's and be working with such stellar students uh, as we have here. Great. Well, sounds like this is going to be the perfect conversation today, so let's dive in. According to data uh, released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, back in March, inflation hit 8.5%, which the New York Times reports is the fastest 12-month growth in inflation since 1981. One of the biggest impacts on this has been the price of gasoline, according to the New York Times. However, other items and necessities have also seen a sharp rise, like food and housing costs, which, according to CNN, housing prices rose 19.8% year over year in February. Right now, what's leading to this historic inflation we're experiencing? Sure. But first, I think it's it's probably a good idea if we talk about how inflation is measured. And you mentioned the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Absolutely. I think it's important to know, right? A lot of us hear about inflation on the news and we don't really understand exactly, you know, who's reporting this data and how did they find this data? Is it a guesstimate? No, it's it's pretty scientific, actually. We don't necessarily think of the Bureau of Labor Statistics as the government agency that should be thinking about how much money we're spending on things. But in fact, they do. They've got this cool data set called the Consumer Expenditure Survey, or just CE, uh, or CEX for short. 
And basically what they do is they have a hefty staff of people that go out and they interview people about their purchasing behaviors, how much money they're spending on things. So there's really kind of two pieces to this survey. The first is a diary. So folks that enter into the survey, they agree to a 12-month commitment and they record all of their purchases. So today I spent $2.65 on a half gallon of milk, right? And then later in the afternoon, I stopped at the gas station and I filled up with gas and I went inside and I got a fountain soda and I got a loaf of bread. And they document precisely to the penny how much they spend on these items. So that's one piece of the consumer expenditure survey. It's getting that really minute, nitty gritty detail uh, to the penny on how much people are spending for things. The other piece of this survey, again, administered by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, is uh, an interview that happens occasionally throughout this 12-month period. Uh, the BLS has a staff of about 800 field representatives, or FRs. These are people who work full-time driving around the United States to interview people about their purchasing behaviors. So this is where we might ask about big things like how much do you pay for rent or how much you know did you pay for your mortgage payment, including principal, interest, property taxes, HOA, insurance, all that kind of stuff. Uh, how much did you pay for your last car or your monthly car payment? That big stuff that we can kind of remember and think of, they ask about through those interviews. So that's something that we can recall when we enter the study and we speak with someone. We can recall, you know, three months ago, how much we spent for our car payments. <laughs> we can't right. remember three months ago to the penny how much we spent on bread or milk or that sort of thing. We can kind of guesstimate, but we don't have an accurate uh, memory of that. So that's why the diary is important. So, uh, again, two pieces, the diary and then also the, the interviews with the field representatives. And this is kind of a, a rolling survey. So every single month, there are new respondents entering the survey. And every single month, there are respondents that are ending their 12-month their term. So there's a constant turnover in this thing. And the Bureau of Labor Statistics is constantly getting data on real-time purchasing activities, behaviors, and, and prices in our economy. So this leads to the CPI, uh, the Consumer Price Index Calculation. And basically, what we do is take a bundle of goods, like, say, a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread and a gallon of gasoline and a new laptop computer and a new commuter car. You throw all those things into a bundle and figure out what the price is today. And then a month in the future, we can take that same bundle of goods and figure out what the price would be to buy all those things in that month. And the Bureau of Labor Statistics has that pricing data from all of those diaries and all of those interviews. So they, they take that information uh, you know, from thousands of respondents, find the averages, figure out typically what's it gonna take to buy these things in say March of 2022. And then we can figure out what it's gonna cost to buy those things in April of 2022. And that 8% or 2% or whatever it is, uh, it just shows what the change is in the price of that bundle of goods from, say, a year ago. So you mentioned March of 2022 as compared to March of 2021. So it would cost 8% more, $108 to buy that bundle of stuff instead of just $100. Right. That's good to know because we often hear about how inflation is moving up and down. But what would you say is leading to the inflation that we're experiencing today? Well, things are getting more expensive for businesses. They're having to pay their employees a little bit more. There are backups in the supply chain. They're having to pay for 
rush orders and deliveries. They're having to pay up to get items from suppliers. And these businesses, they're just passing along those increased raw material prices along to their customers. And so far, customers are paying up, right? So far, we're okay paying a little bit more for a gallon of milk or a little more for a gallon of gas. We're okay paying a little bit more for a newer used car. We're okay paying more for lumber for a new house. And because we're willing to pay up as a society, you know, these businesses, they have no reason to pump the brakes at this time. So we've got this almost self-fulfilling prophecy in that we've got some increased supply items that are getting passed along to customers. Customers then are requiring higher wages themselves (laughs) when they go to work. Those employers are having to pay up on the wage front, which again, it gets returned into high prices. And as long as this kind of spiral or circle keeps going, we're going to see an increase in prices and an increase in inflation, an increase for the cost of that basket of goods that we talked about. You mentioned that people are willing to pay. You know, right now we're seeing inflation of goods at, like I said, at 8.5. I mean, is there a level that is concerning where you could see people going, whoa, no, we're not doing this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, eventually people are going to, in the long term, change their purchasing habits, right? It's it's really hard in the short term to change. And in just one calendar year, if we see things go through the roof as prices go you know, we're not going to necessarily move to live closer to work. We're not going to completely change our mode of transportation and rely on public transportation instead of having our own private vehicle. But if that persists, well, all of a sudden over a two or a three year period, people start reevaluating their purchasing behaviors and their overall behaviors and might make those changes. So this has to do with elasticity. It's an economic term, right? In the short term, we don't change our behaviors. But in the long term, if this does persist, we will definitely see people changing how they manage their financial lives and their priorities. We'll be right back in a minute. Separate yourself from the rest and take your career to the next level with an online degree from St. Mary's University of Minnesota. Nationally ranked and fully accredited, our programs are student-centered with faculty that infuse practical career experience into their teaching and engage in their disciplines. Set your own schedule with our flexible online platform and access your coursework anywhere. With our selection of affordable online degree programs, promising career opportunities will follow. Explore what's next at St. Mary's University of Minnesota. With inflation like this being a concern for many Americans, what should the average person be considering when it comes to financial decisions right now? How do consumers maybe need to change their consuming habits or their budgeting habits? That's a great question. Just an annual checkup is something that every professional financial planner will recommend, but so many people fail to do. If you haven't been working with a financial planner and haven't been getting that nudge to do that kind of annual financial physical and really look through your budget and reassess your budget, this is a time, right? We're seeing a somewhat of a shock to the system. And if we haven't been in that regular process of reevaluating the budget on an annual basis, it's time to do it. 
Some people love to balance the checkbook, so to speak, every single day. Some people love to go check their stock portfolio a couple times a week. And there are other folks that are intimidated by that. And if you are someone that is not really vigilant about watching your financial picture, this might be a time to spend some time doing that. So what are some things within that budget that we should be thinking about? Well, as I kind of alluded to, if we're in a world where we've got higher transportation costs, maybe it's time to reevaluate our purchasing behavior around transportation. I'm not saying that everyone needs to go out and buy an electric car. I'm not saying that everyone needs to go from being a two-car household to a one-car household or a zero-car household, but certainly we can evaluate decisions around spending. So for example, rather than taking three road trips a year, maybe we take two road trips per year. Maybe we decide to carpool with a colleague of ours once or twice a week. Maybe there's an opportunity to be a little bit more prescriptive in our trips away from the household on the weekends, you know, rather than just kind of willy nilly going to the store and then going out for a joyride and then going out for something for entertainment purposes. You know, if we can combine those into one trip, that's really very simple, but easy to implement, right? The tougher things to implement are selling the SUV and getting a small commuter car. Right? That's a harder pill for us to swallow, but perhaps necessary. If we truly have financial goals of retiring someday, becoming financially independent, providing for the funds to invest in human capital and higher education for ourselves or our children, you know, maybe it's worth it to forego some of those luxuries that we're used to now so that we can prioritize achieving those financial goals. It's a tough pill to swallow. But it's, I think, a necessary pill in this strange financial environment that we're living in. Right. One item I've seen discussed the last few years when talking about inflation is how wages have failed to keep up with inflation. We have a fresh group of graduates from our undergraduate campus going out into the professional world, and we have students in the schools of graduate and professional programs who might be considering a new career path. When looking at jobs in a time while we're experiencing inflation like this, what do people need to consider? You know, when graduates are hitting the job market and it's time to go and shine, it's time to go get that big wig job post-graduation, it's really important to consider not just the base salary, but also the benefits associated with that position. And this is something that we don't really talk about a whole lot. I don't think... We spend enough time with traditional age college students talking about how to assess the value of those benefits in relation to a base salary. So what am I talking about with benefits? Healthcare, for one example, right? Healthcare can cost for a traditional undergraduate student who's just hitting the pavement at 22, 23 years old. It can cost $900 or $1,000 a month for a healthcare plan. And an employer might choose to pick up some of that expense, right? And this is a, a negotiated group rate for a really nice healthcare plan. It might cost even more than that to purchase independently. But let's say it costs $1,000. Some employers will pitch in 50%. So that's an extra $500 a month that someone is receiving in income, so to speak. It's just a discount on that high-priced health insurance plan. Some employers might pay for 75% of it or 750 bucks. 
some employers might pay 100% of that. So if your base salary is $50,000 coming out of college, and also your employer is paying 100% of a $1,000 monthly healthcare plan, that's an extra $12,000 right there. Right. So that's something that I don't think we've trained ourselves or we're training traditional college students to really assess. And this goes, I guess, the same for our SGPP students who are considering new job opportunities after getting a master's degree or a doctoral degree. Another thing is that we moved away from this defined benefit system into this defined contribution system. I'm talking about retirement here. So instead of pensions, where an employee is going to be guaranteed some sort of defined benefit once they retire, once they reach retirement age, and the company has agreed to provide some monthly benefits on a reoccurring basis after retirement, we moved away from that to this defined contribution system in the United States where employers are providing some small percentage of an employee's salary towards a qualified retirement account. So that can be huge. That can be a huge benefit, a huge perk. And a lot of times we don't necessarily really assess that on the front end when we're considering different employers. We apply for the job, we talk about base salary, we accept the job, and then find out or really get into the weeds and investigate what that retirement plan is going to look like. That should be upfront. That should be certainly a consideration before accepting the job. And I think, again, for folks that are not hyper vigilant about financial management, it's really intimidating, it's really difficult, but certainly something that should be front and center when we're thinking about that job offer. So if we're making $50,000 a year and an employer will provide an additional 10% of our salary in the form of defined contributions to some sort of qualified retirement account, like a 401k account, and we can think of that as an extra $5,000 in financial benefits that are not in the form of base salary. Right. You know, one thing that you mentioned was how we need to be thinking about how we're teaching certain things when it comes to finances. Right now, Mm -hmm. there are a number of states that are considering laws that would require financial literacy courses in K-12 schools. In Minnesota, an omnibus education bill would mandate that high school freshmen take at least a half a credit in personal finance. Uh, Do you think enough is being done right now to teach financial literacy? And if not, is now the time to act? No and yes. No, I do not believe enough is being done. And yes, now is the time. So for whatever reason, finance is still a really taboo topic in many households, right? We talk about drugs and alcohol. We talk about the birds and the bees. We talk about all of this stuff that's important for, you know, growing an individual into an adult so that they can be self-sustaining in their adult life. But we don't talk about finance around many dinner tables. So it's incredibly important that we have some form of financial education for young people. High school is great. There are many states that have already mandated some small level of financial literacy education for high school students, but I I don't think it's enough, right? I think we need to have some level of financial education as students mature and become a junior or senior in high school or maybe a freshman in college so that they can have some base level of understanding of personal finance. 
before they get themselves into too much trouble, right? It's kind of too late if we wait until the job market after college or maybe as a senior in college, because it's possible that college students have already gotten themselves into a lot of trouble by then, right? So we need something in high school. We need something early college to help with some of those basic principles. And really high school is a great time before students make one of the biggest investments of their lives, which is higher education investment, right? Right. So I think that's great. I support that. The caveat is if we're going to have required, mandated, necessary financial education in high schools, we have to make sure that the instructors are qualified and, and understand these concepts as well. So that's somewhat of a difficulty. Sure, it's easy to pass the bill and mandate it. It's a little bit harder to implement with people that truly have expertise in personal finance. So that's one side. Another kind of level to this is that after students have had that base level of financial education, say in high school or early college, it's a good idea to have a second round of it when students are seniors, right? When they're thinking about making those decisions that come with being a working adult in society. So to talk about health insurance plans and compare premiums and deductibles, to talk about qualified retirement accounts, the differences between Roth IRAs and traditional IRAs, that kind of stuff, estate planning issues, like that's not really necessary or relevant for students that are juniors and seniors in high school. Totally relevant for people that are seniors in college getting ready to graduate and move on to you know the working world. So I think probably in an ideal system that I create, we're going to have two levels of this. You know, one is early college or high school, and then another level would be later in college as people are transitioning into uh, that professional life. Andrew, this has been great. And I think, you know, there's a lot of valuable information in this episode for our listeners. So thank you so much for your time. Hey, happy to be here. Have me back anytime. I could talk about this stuff all day. St. Mary's Currents is a production of the St. Mary's University of Minnesota Office of Marketing and Communication. It is produced by Ben Rogers and Deb Nergang. It is recorded, edited, and engineered by Jeffrey DeMarsh. Our theme music is written by Will Van de Cromert. I'm Ben Rogers. We'll see you next time for St. Mary's Currents. <laughs>